You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today by supply chain expert Brittany Brown. Hello, Brittany. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Okay. So we're going to talk about a tough but timely topic today, and that is disaster preparedness or disaster response. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen Hurricane Harvey dump 50 inches of rain onto southeast Texas, primarily around the Houston area, flooding an entire city and displacing tens of thousands, if not millions of people. And as of this recording, Hurricane Irma is approaching the Leeward Islands of the Caribbean on track to hit somewhere in the southeast United States as well. Currently, that's a Category 5, and it may be one of the strongest storms to hit North America in many years. And the crazy thing about these storms is we don't necessarily know how to predict them. It's an active hurricane season right now in 2017. Some years are more than others. And this is one of those where the storms that are hitting are hitting hard. Now, it's hard to forecast very far ahead of time. It's hard to plan for any sort of incident, but it's something that you do have to plan for, prepare for in a way, and then be ready to respond. And how does that affect businesses? Often in the supply chain. Brittany, you come from a background in the logistics industry originally. I do. So tell me a little bit about your experience and what you learned about preparing for the unexpected within your role. So right out of college, I worked at an ocean carrier, a vessel operating carrier to be technical. I was young and that was my first real corporate job. And it was my first opportunity to learn about supply chains, global trade, all of this. And as big as it is, as big as the industry is, as big as these ocean containers are, it's not always mature. So I'm definitely not going to give away any names here, but I will kind of share some of my experiences. And, you know, I'm consider myself a millennial, but I had to learn how to use a fax machine. And that was not uncommon. And when disruptions hit for an ocean carrier, these are our customers, right? So these are our ocean containers and our ocean vessels, but they're not our products. They're our customers' products. So it's our customers who are calling us. And if anybody works in the industry, they know the firefighting that happens on a day-to-day basis. You get those urgent emails, those hot emails, and you have maybe just a little bit of information, maybe a container number, maybe a booking or a bill of lading. And I'm going to have to take that information and I'm going to put it into a mainframe. (laughs) Wait a second here. So say a port strike is happening and you have, say, a dozen ships that are within maybe a week or two of arriving in that port. The forensics then becomes customers calling you, you calling ships at sea, trying to find out where they are, when they're going to arrive, and whether they actually have that container with that product on them? The first thing I'm going to do is go to my mainframe, go to my black and green screen, type in any information that I have, because then I can correlate some additional information. So now I know it's on this vessel, or now I know it's in this container. And then I'm going to start, you know, doing some diagnostics and seeing what I can find out. I don't typically call all the ocean vessels have GPS on them for the most part. So that information is directly fed to us. But it's correlating the little pieces of information you have to find the bigger picture and to figure out when the estimated arrival date is, what's the port. And if we're going to switch that, if maybe now we're not going to call San Pedro, we're going to call Oakland, what's the effect? Not just for the one customer who called me, 
but for the thousands of customers that have containers on that ship. That's amazing. And so to make all of those calls, to do all of that work, I imagine you don't do it that quickly. How long does it take to do the forensics and then to make the adjustments to assure that those products are going to arrive within the window that you promised? It depends. I will tell you in 2017 or when I was doing this, which was only about six years ago, it's not quick enough. We need to be utilizing technology better. And when you think about it, technology starts with the consumer mostly, like they have a demand for it and they drive that. So you have the consumer and then you have business. And when you look at a ocean carrier, their business, their customers, they're the last stop there. So they get this technology and they get the ability to use the technology to their advantage, not as quickly as their customers do. So it takes too long. They're getting there with better technology, but it is exponentially more complicated from the ocean carrier's perspective because they have hundreds of thousands of customers as opposed to just one shipper who has you know 10,000 containers on the ocean at any given time, which is an actually large number, but... But that's kind of amazing that, you know, we're in 2017. I imagine your experience isn't that long ago where this was the process. And for a lot, that's still the norm. Is that changing with time? Are we starting to see that over time, the effect of having to do this manually intensive process is just wearing these businesses down? And the expectation on the other end is that you've got to deliver and you've got to deliver near in real time. There's a definitely a discrepancy in expectation. The ocean carriers are overburdened. But then on the flip side, their customers, you know, the people that we buy all of our clothes from or where we go to shop at, they have really high expectations from us, the consumer. So there's definitely a mismatch in in expectations and their ability to deliver on them. All right. And that's just the normal day-to-day a lot of times. That is just your day-to-day firefighting, not even coming into grips with a catastrophe or a natural disaster or a strike. Yeah. So let's think about that. Let's talk about some scenarios. And you mentioned one prior to us recording this podcast where in Arizona, you had a very wet summer and it led to a tremendous upswing in mosquitoes. So everyone will always tell you, Arizona is a dry heat. It's a dry heat. Well, when it's 120, it doesn't matter if it's a dry heat. It's just miserable. But we had a summer that we got a lot of rain. And when we get a lot of rain, it doesn't necessarily just sink in very quickly, which is why we have flash floods. So you have a bunch of stagnant water. And when you have a bunch of stagnant water, you start getting mosquitoes. Arizonans don't know what to do with mosquito bites. And this was also around the time that Zika was a big issue. So everybody flocks to the store and we're buying bug spray, but you couldn't get it within a certain mile radius of our houses because it was just gone. We weren't used to it and we didn't get any bug spray for, I think, at least a couple weeks. So it made summer pretty miserable. And so as we kind of established looking at at goods moving over the ocean, when that those demand spikes happen, to be able to be very dynamic, to reroute it to where there's a need, to where the end customer is feeling a certain amount of pain and you just want to help them out. There's a couple factors that matter here. And one is your demand signal. How do you know that there's a need, right? Do you have the right information there in place? But then on top of that, let's say you do know that there's demand. How do you get the product there timely before the demand's gone? Uh, This is a challenge that shippers and logistics providers, carriers, all the way down to businesses. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
let's bring it back to the situation that we've seen right now. I mean, Houston is still largely shut down, and that's one of the bigger ports in North America, especially if you're in the commodities industry. There's a tremendous amount of oil and gas, obviously, that goes through Texas, but also a massive population. It's the fourth, fourth largest, largest. Yeah, fourth largest city in the United States. That region is served by the Port of Houston and two major airports. All right, two major airports and then some surrounding areas. But that's kind of the heart of that part of Texas. When you think about Houston geographically, so they're right on the water, the Gulf of Mexico, and then you also have big ports in Louisiana and Florida. But typically when Houston's getting hit with something, so is Louisiana and so is Florida. And then you have the other side of the country, but that's a far drive, right? That's a far way to go. So you're looking at LA, but that's a rail track that's going to go through. So it's not necessarily an easy mitigation. Right. Being able to respond is a very difficult thing. And you know, just speaking from my own experience, the supply chain is often slow and inadequate. The help isn't always there when you need it. Having lived through Hurricane Sandy and the Rockaways and in Long Beach, New York, you know, we went 28 days without power, which meant that we couldn't keep food in the house, had to rely on people with generators. We had to go several towns over to get any groceries and gasoline lines were tremendously long. And there was very little end in sight at certain points. When you're in those situations, like they may be in Houston right now, you feel desperate, alone, and honestly, a little bit scared. I feel pretty ignorant to this situation. Growing up mainly in Arizona, it's not necessarily something that I experienced. And I think that's something for outsiders. It's interesting to hear. People are always curious about how you live in that situation. And I think we underestimate just the basic amenities that we have in our day-to-day lives that can be taken away like that right? in you, a hurricane. We take a lot for granted as consumers, as people who just are on the tail end of the supply chain, really. We've become so accustomed to not only the products that we want, but a large selection and the ability to name our price and to have it either in store or delivered right away. But these situations, all of a sudden, it cuts all of those conveniences off for you and for millions of others. And it becomes very difficult. So how can businesses help though? Right. So it's not just about getting your businesses back online. That's a huge part of it or taking advantage of a situation. You don't ever want to kind of think about it that way. But there's one example from Houston, the grocery chain HEB, which has about 350 stores in Texas and Mexico. Big presence in in Houston, 83 stores. Within days of Harvey's ending, they were able to open 60 of those 83 stores. Now, as much as 40 or 60 or more percent of their staff were also dislocated, they were out of their homes, they didn't have many ways of communicating, but they still pulled through. And they talked about a little bit about some of the challenges they had doing that. They may have manned those stores with as few as five people, and they reprioritized the kinds of products they sold. No one buys frozen goods when there's no electricity, right? But they do buy canned goods, they buy water, they buy bread, they buy batteries because you might not have power in your house. So it's a matter of prioritizing, getting the right products to those shelves, finding a way to do it and open and make the most of what you have just to show that you're part of the community, to respond, to help. Kind of establish some sense of normalcy again, even in a really 
not normal situation. Do you know if there are consultants or who helped them? Who helped them figure out what their prepared program would be? It's a good question. So one thing that I've read, you know, from people that are in-house at the company is that they've planned for it. They've put those plans together. There are consultants, there are partners within their supply chain, I think, that they do rely on in order to be able to get things back up and running. I mean, they had a plan in place to helicopter transport truckers from Houston to San Antonio so they could get on trucks from those distribution centers and move goods. So it's all outlines at some point. But the challenge is, again, it comes back to you never really know when it's going to hit. Of course, but having the plan, though, in place, obviously, I think, establishes HEB as a company that cares and is also, I think, now, in my mind, I'm actually born in Houston, I'm, but I haven't lived there in a long time, so I don't know that. But it's a brand recognition. It's nice to know. It feels very like they're part of the community. And it does make a difference when you're on the ground. That little bit of normalcy, the ability to go to a store to pick up a couple basics because you haven't had food or clean water for a couple of days is huge. I mean, you see the commercials of, say, a company like Tide that has the washing machine trucks. You don't have clothes or clean water or any access to that stuff. And so this is a way that brands can respond, and it is good public relations, but to be able to have some contingency in place to start bringing back the network. It always seems a little dicey to say public relations, but at the end of the day, public relations is about your relationship with the public. And that means you're helping people. At least that's the attempt. And I think for HEB, they're obviously successful. I'll be flying out to Houston on Friday and it'll be my first opportunity to see the devastation. We're planning on doing some relief work, but I'll be looking for the HEV companies in, in the grocery store. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you start to think differently about the brands that are out there, about the companies, about the products that are on those shelves, the ones that are making it livable after those situations. It is big. And so, I mean, I think that's, you know, again, going all the way full circle from being that logistics provider who doesn't know, you know, how they're going to communicate with a dozen ships and reroute them to a port to being that person, the end customer who's suddenly lost everything to being a store that's there just trying to reopen. I mean, downtime does cost you money, obviously, but the ability to respond, the ability to get your supply network up and running, to have that flexibility and to have the plan makes a big difference at a very personal level. And I think that that's something that you can't forget when we go through times like this, where sudden, unexpected and catastrophic offense change the lives of so many people. As a business, what do you do though? Like if you were to take this as a step or a process, what are the first things you're thinking about if you know that you have employees or consumers or facilities in catastrophe stricken zone? What are you thinking? Obviously people, safety, security. And your assets. I mean, then you're looking at assets. Right. The goods that you have, the infrastructure that you have to be able to get things up and running. We have had a customer that has a large rail network, right, in the U.S. And when they see a storm coming, they'll dynamically reroute all of those from yards that are in low-lying or areas that could be impacted to areas that are safe. And so that those assets are ready to move when normalcy begins to return, when the network comes back online. I think what if scenario planning, right? Like that's sort of what it is, is where you're like, what if this happens? What is the response? That's really important. But 
that is only sort of pie in the sky, like thinking if you don't have the information, right? You need to be able to sort of map out your facilities, your DCs, your ability to move around first, your products, you need to know where everything is before you can really start actually trying to plan for these what if situations. Exactly. You have to have a good picture of who you are, of who your suppliers are, of what your network looks like, of how you're going to deal with it when a portion of that network shuts down or how you're able to go around and keep things going. I mean, I think it often comes back to that idea that in supply chain, we're, we're in not just the business of moving goods around the world, but really just dealing with ambiguity. A lot of things that you can't know or plan for, but you do your best at and you find scenarios and ways to do it. And I think a big piece of that is having some visibility and, and having the ability to be more dynamic with you need to understand your footprint, right? Like, especially at a digital level. And I think then from there, what becomes really important, and it's very obvious in some of these disaster situations, is communication. The ability to communicate with your network or communicate with your family, whoever it is, that becomes so huge and vital. And we all see these tragic stories of people trying to connect with their family when they see these things happen. And that becomes very obvious. And I can imagine it also affects the business community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think often we get in supply chain very wrapped up in things like assets of inventory, of factories, of trucks and DCs, of stores and doors, that we sometimes forget that it's a very human enterprise that we're all in. Well, and it's always moving, right? It's so fluid. So if you're communicating information late, then that information is now not good, right? It's Or it's not as good as it could be. You need to have that communication of information changing, of your network changing, as close to the moment in which that actually happens. Exactly. So communication, connectivity, information, and you do have to actually care too. All right, we've covered a lot of ground on this episode of Supply Chain Radio. Brittany, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone out there, please stay safe if you're in a community affected by these disasters. You've been listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and please do find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast network. <laughs>